Welcome to the Starfish Storytellers, the podcast that makes a difference one story at a time by bringing storytelling to life. When my daughter, my eldest daughter, was in a senior in high school, she came home one afternoon in tears, shaking, frightened. Uh, it appeared that an outsider group at school had hung an effigy on her locker. They were leaving cryptic notes that had threats in them. And she no sooner got inside the house than the phone rang and there was a threat over the phone. My husband immediately said, I'm calling the police. And I said, wait, 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 wait. I asked Julie about this group, what she knew about them. I said, you know, before we do anything like that, I wanna talk to the principal of the school. And I called him and he said to, we're calling the police. And I said, wait, 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 wait. I would like to talk to the mother or father of the leader of this group. Can you arrange that for me? And he was very reluctant, but finally agreed. And a couple of hours later, I got a phone call from a very distraught mother who said, I'm surprised but I'm not shocked. Her story began to to pour out uh, about herself, her situation, her son. And the bottom line was, two nights later, we gathered in the living room. There was the leader of this group, two of his classmates who were part of the group, the, the single parent, his mother, my daughter, my husband, myself, my daughter's friend and her mother, who were also impacted by this whole incident, and an English teacher. (laughs) I got a call from this English teacher that morning, and she said, you know, we know this group. Uh, We know that we should be doing something, but we are so overwhelmed. We just think they'll eventually graduate and go away. And she said, the thing is, there'll be another group. She said, I feel I have all of these kids in my classes and I feel like I bear some accountability. I would like to be involved if that's okay. So she was there. Never having done this before, we circled up, we were in a circle and starting with Julie, began telling our stories with all of the emotion, the rage, the disappointment, the anger, the the fear, um, all of the emotions that went with it. Each person, we just kept going around and around. We met for about three to four hours. And at one point, one of the girls in this group started crying. And she looked at my daughter and said, you don't have to be afraid of me. I'm not gonna hurt you. I can meet you at the curb at school tomorrow and I will walk with you to class. And my daughter said, well, then you'll get a tardy because you'll be late. And she said, yeah, I know. This is the short version (laughs) of what took place that night. Four or five months later, the high school did their annual musical. It happened to be Bye Bye Birdie. 
My daughter was in the chorus, so naturally we went to see the play. And there on stage, in a major role, was the leader of this group. He found a niche. He belonged. I sat in the audience and I just, tears were just coming down. They weren't friends. They didn't have to be. But the outcome of the two of them on the same stage, enjoying something that they loved, finding their niche, their sense of belonging. And how do, what do I attribute that to? The stories that we shared in that circle. We didn't know what we were doing. But much later, I came to understand the model of peacemaking circles, of story circles, and of a model uh, called restorative justice. And they're all based, they're all about storytelling. Uh, storytelling is impactful on so many levels and healing on so many levels. And this was just one incident that I would, again, I tear up, this is years and years later. <laughs> What would have been so different had those stories not been told? Welcome to the Starfish Storytellers. I'm the CEO of the Black Dog Group, a Marcom and project management firm headquartered on the east coast of the U.S. in quaint colonial Bedford, Massachusetts. I'm your host and passionate about storytelling. I'm actually on a mission to raise up the next generation of storytellers. We've named ourselves the Starfish Storytellers after the Starfish Story. The moral of the Starfish Story is based on the power of one. No matter how big the challenge, each action we take makes a difference and has an impact. One step, one starfish, or one story at a time. Every episode, we welcome a new storyteller who will share their story meant to inspire and connect with you. Then we'll break it down and offer tips for any listeners who are ready to tell their own stories. So thanks for tuning in. Now let's get started. Today's episode is about the power of stories to heal, why the act of storytelling makes a difference. And with me today is Dale Grenfell. She's a storytelling instructor, presenter, facilitator, and professional storyteller. She has used storytelling in the classroom, on the stage, working with restorative justice, in peace circles, and often just for the pure pleasure of it. And currently she's teaching a six-week storytelling course, one of many that she's done. So we really appreciate you being our guest today, Dale. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. So we usually like to get started by having our guests introduce themselves. Would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about you? My name is Dale Grenfell. Uh, when people ask, when did you start telling stories? I say, well, probably when I could put a few words to a sentence. Uh, as a, I, don't, I don't remember this, but as a small child, um, I'm told that I would tell stories to people in the neighborhood, anybody who would listen. And some of them were big. Um, at one point, one of my neighbors went to my mother and said, um, 
Dale said she has nine grandmothers. And she said, yeah, that would be Dale. <laughs> uh, I figured if one was good, nine was better. And they each had their own stories, their own histories, their own names. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, from, from as far back as I can remember, storytelling has just been just what I do. Um, if I may, I'd like to share what I learned about storytelling very early on from Please, my grandmother. That'd be lovely. Um, when I was about six years old, I remember I asked my mother, I said, is it true that uh, my grandmother had been raised in an orphanage? And she said, well, yeah, yeah. I said, well, tell me about it. And she said, I've never asked her. I, I don't know uh, much about it. So I asked, could I ask her? And she said, I guess so. And I love the metaphor. My grandmother and I had a habit of sewing together. She had an old singer and she would take pieces, like pieces of a story and weave them together. And they would be doll clothes, curtains, a dress. And I would sit on the floor with swatches of fabric and buttons. And I would sew buttons on these pieces of fabric. One day I had the courage, I finally said, is it true that you and Aunt Edith were in an orphanage? And I watched her, everything stopped. The machine stopped. She sort of gazed out as though she was in a whole other space. And then she lifted me onto her lap and she held me really close. And she said, yes, yes, it's true. I don't think anybody had ever asked her. I honestly don't. I don't think she had ever shared her story. Uh, during that first encounter, I learned that her mother had abandoned the two girls. She went off to become a singer and the two girls grew up believing that she had died. I knew there was more to it than that. So every <laughs> periodically I would ask, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. And over the years, I didn't realize Liana at the time, but I was watching this woman go from victim to storyteller. She was, every time she told a story, it was enfleshed a little bit more. And yes, there were some shootouts and some hangings and God knows what, but, um, I watched as she was empowered, which is basically what therapy does, right? Uh, I watched as she became an empowered human being, no longer the victim in her story. And that taught me a lot. I didn't realize it at the time, but as I got older, I thought, wow, this stuff is powerful, <laughs> really powerful. Yeah, stories absolutely change the world. Yep. Even if it's the greater world or our world, mm -hmm. they change mm -hmm. the world. Yes. I have heard stories can save us and stories can destroy us. Mm -hmm. They yeah. can. That yeah. is true. Yeah. There's this meme I saw recently on social media and it had a big circle and it's, and it was inside the circle. It said, um, someone's life. And then in the bottom corner, it had a dot with an arrow. And underneath that, it said, what you know about it. Um, you know, yeah. we, we really don't know people's experiences until we hear our, their stories. So um, 
we're going to get in a chance towards in after I ask you a few other questions um, to talk a little bit about the stories that you hear. I know as an instructor, you have people come to your class and they share their stories. And so you get to hear all of these amazing stories. And mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm always amazed at people's experiences. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, when you give them that framework to be able to kind of structure that, all of that memory, those memories, the history, they're able to then kind of put it back out there in a in an ordered fashion where it makes sense. And for those of us listening to the story, hearing it then helps it make sense to us. We get to, you know, as you know, from storytelling, because I know you do it in your class, maybe we'll talk about your class now, um, uh, is, you know, there's, there's, I mean, this is the earliest way that information has always been transferred was through storytelling from, you know, when I saw your sort of curriculum, I was like, oh, I'm doing the right thing because I do <laughs> the same stuff too. So, but we give a lot, you know, in the class, we give a history of what storytelling is uh, because I, I was reading um, Annette Simmons' book, The Story Factor, and she opens it with storytelling is like explaining storytelling to someone is about is the same as exploring like you know a, a stray kitten like you all know what a stray kitten is but to really explain it you know you have to really dig in it's the same thing with storytelling everybody knows what storytelling is but if somebody wants to ask what it is there's so many facets to it um mm -hmm. so maybe we'll just dip into that now we can talk about some of the other stuff after is um, what have been some really moving, memorable stories that you've heard? Like, are there any particular students recently or a long time ago that really stand out for you? Um, well, there's two. Uh, the la Not this time. The last time I taught storytelling, <clears throat> it just happened that the entire class was female. There, no men signed up. So I thought... Okay, I'm going to take this in a little different direction, since it's all women and women's stories, many of them have just been erased from history. Um, did you ever have you heard of the book, The Red Tent? I think I have. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's a, a midrash. It's a, um, it, a little poetic license on what might have happened to women in the Old Testament whose names we know, but we don't know their stories. And so Anita Diamond wrote a book that just said, this might have been, you know, what happened. And it takes place in, in a red tent, which was where women went on their monthly uh, cycles and to give birth. So I squared away some space in one of the sessions. And I said, we don't have a red tent, okay? But I have a red shawl. <laughs> so, two of us would one would take one part and the other part and we would cloak a woman in the circle with it that was her red tent and she could tell a story whatever and it was you know it was all you're safe it's okay to tell your story uh i can't probably wouldn't want to go into detail but the stories that came out stories of abuse um stories of abandonment stories of courage um 
stories that most of them had never told before. And being in that red tent, even though it was just a shawl, <laughs> but it was red, seemed to open a portal to a world, to a space that they had never experienced before. It, um, it was really moving, really, really moving. I think we need more spaces like that, uh, to offer more spaces like that to women. Uh, the other one actually, uh, in this circle, a young woman in the circle announced that she was in a forced marriage. And she was from uh, Pakistan. I just, here we are in the, you know, 20, what is it? Then it was 2021. I thought, what, 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 what? This is not possible. I mean, this is, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, some of them have been very poignant stories. Uh, again, I the, the one with the women and the red tent was just really powerful, really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and to know that most of them had never told these stories before. They had never shared with anybody. And I'm sure that, you know, based on the people that were there, there was a sense of security and safety and yes you know like you said you had sort of done the cloak with the red tent and that was to signify yes. the safe space to be able to share mm -hmm. so that's that's amazing mm -hmm. um yep. well let's talk a little bit about you um so you've talked about restorative justice and mm -hmm. you know being very active in in ways to really put that into place. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that type of story, storytelling makes a big difference. Um, can you talk a little bit about, a little bit more about that? Yeah, uh, restorative justice is something that's been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And even now, uh, First Nation groups all around the world, they don't call it restorative justice, but this is how they settle things. This is how they learn. Uh, their teaching modality is storytelling. It's very different than ours. It's not compartmentalized. It's it, this relates to this, relates to this, to, relates to this. Um, I think it's about 30 years ago, there were, I believe, two, two researchers were in New Zealand and they discovered among the Maori this model of how they handle offenses, how they handle offenders. It's not about punishment. It's about reestablishing harmony and balance. It's not about getting even. It's about how do we heal the harm that's been done? That's, that's the overriding thing. How do we heal the harm? And it, it's all about storytelling, all about storytelling. Um, again, I did not know that that's what we were doing when we held the circle with my daughter but i took that model to my classroom i was at the time i was teaching middle school and i thought gee uh we have some bullying issues on this campus so i told the students that, that i had anyway i said okay when an incident came up uh, i can send you to the dean that's going to be punishment okay or we can circle up and they go oh we'll circle up we'll circle up you know 
And then we get about just a little bit into it and somebody would say, well, you didn't say this was going to be hard. And I said, (laughs) because it had to do with emotions Mm -hmm. and vulnerability and transparency and forgiveness and all those things that we don't talk about as much as we should. Mm -hmm. But once it took, once it, it got going, uh occasionally a student would even come up and say you know can we circle up you know there's something you know going on and they they liked it they they really really enjoyed it and i think got a lot out of it and then later uh i think it was in the early 90s i actually heard the term for the first time restorative justice and i thought well that sounds good (laughs) i gotta check that out and then realized oh okay that's what that's what they're talking about now you uh, worked in schools, but you, I think you told me you also had worked with inmates as well. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. I was volunteering with the restorative justice office in Los Angeles and had a chance to work with, um, uh, well, they were parolees and I, in prison, you don't tell your story. You, you keep, yeah, <laughs> you watch your back. And so a lot of these, they happen to be women. These women uh, had been in prison for anywhere from four to 20 years and had to hold everything inside. So uh, along with not only telling their stories, a lot of them uh, realized that they were dealing with accountability. And although we couldn't get back to their victims, um, taking accountability, in other words, uh, realizing who they were, who the victim was, the harm that they had done, and how they had how how they were changing, how they were trans being transformed during this process, was uh, was incredible. Um, a number of years later, I did get to sit in a circle with men who were uh, I didn't get to know them as well as I did uh, the parolees in Los Angeles, but. Uh, men who uh, were willing, who wanted to meet with their victims. And again, the, the, the power of it, the, um, I told you about the, the Israeli and the Palestinian. There is another, there are other stories. Um, I don't know if the name Linda Beale rings a bell. Um, her daughter, you know, okay, yep. was murdered by South Africans and uh, one of the perpetrators, one of the offenders, one of the uh, the killers, asked to see the mother, and she is now his mother. All through their stories, I mean, imagine. I mean, I can't imagine talking with the the the, the person who murdered your daughter, and yet they are now mother and son. All through story. All through story. Well, I think again, story has the power to change the world, and. Yeah. It, in that story, it just talks about fostering forgiveness, you yes. know, understanding that person's full experience. And I think if you don't know someone's story, then it's far easier to create the monster and judge. It's harder when you know the human side of that person. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it there's so much power in being able to understand it it just creates that understanding and yeah. like we said this episode is about healing and those are awesome examples of that um you um the, the things that you were talking about would you call those peace circles uh the peace or circle, those well, circles something different 
Yeah, no, uh, the peace circles, they can be community circles, doing peace circles within the community to establish deeper understanding of divisions in the community. I've done them in schools, um, and we call them peace circles or um, um, story circles. And they go <clears throat> all day. I mean, it's the whole school day. And what has come out, especially around bullying, around suicide ideation, uh, it's just you start out with very benign questions in the very early part of the day. And then the questions get deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's, <sighs> wow. <laughs> um, unfortunately, schools aren't doing them, well, at least here, they're not doing them as much as they used to. Um, but I, I, if I were in charge, <laughs> we'd circle up every morning. <laughs> Let's get the cobwebs out right early. <laughs> so. The stories really do create that level of understanding that you mm -hmm. just, you're not going to get unless you're telling the story. So I don't know if you ever heard this. Um, I have a, a, a friend here in town. She and her husband were traveling through Europe. This was back in the 50s, early 60s. And they were in Brussels. And in the train station, they found this woman sitting at a small table, sitting on a chair with an empty chair next to her and a little sign that said, do you need to tell your story? And they found out that she was a Holocaust survivor. And she said, people have stopped listening to our stories, but they still need to be told. Mm -hmm. And then coincidentally, my next door neighbor, she and her husband got on a train in Paris to go to Brussels and that same woman was on the train, just listening to stories. Yep. Uh, yep. I think it's what Maya Angelou said, uh, there's no greater agony than a story buried inside. And there are a lot of people walking around with buried stories. Um, we've and lost our porches. We've lost our what? I'm sorry. Our front porches, you know, our backyard yes. lines, our yes. corner markets, you know, that we're um, it, they're not coming back, but the first thing I did when I moved in to my place 25 years ago was organize a potluck <laughs> for the whole neighborhood. And within 15 minutes, you heard things like any total strangers. They didn't know each other. Like, oh my God. Oh, I lived on the parkway. Oh, right across from me. Oh, for heaven's sake. You know, the six degrees of separation just kind of narrowed down to like two. <laughs> it was mm -hmm. absolutely amazing. Just yep. beautiful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the whole sort of foundation behind the moth is, you know, that it's about the porch, you know, mm -hmm. we're all getting together on the porch to be able to hear each other's stories. Mm -hmm. So, and it's important, I think, too, being a storyteller, but also a story listener and yes. being a very active story listener. And I find that like when I'm really engaged with that story, I feel like I just absolutely get to know that person in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise if I hadn't really been actively listening. So a lot of power. This in is a, um, I, I, there, in, when I'm teaching storytelling, there's always one whole space in the curriculum for listening. Do we listen to reply or do we listen to understand? We're not taught that you know, growing up, we, we don't have good listening models. 
um, unfortunately, yeah, it takes two. It takes the storyteller, but it takes the listener too. I mean, listening is an action, you know, yes. it's an action verb, you know, it's a verb. So, um, so talk to me a little bit about when students come to your classes, you know, what can they expect? I, I'm also an instructor and, um, you know, I, I sort of lay out the curriculum somewhat similar. I don't have sort of the same specifics like you did in some of the things that you shared, but um, it's always, I, cause I, in the, you know, it's a course, so you have multiple classes, um, you know, a class specific on the story foundations and mapping and, you know, one on all the places in the world that they're going to have to tell their story. You know, how do you do it? How do you do it on social media? How do you do it in business? How do you do it in career? How do you, how do you do it at home? Um, mm-hmm. You know, but when you're, when your folks are coming in to tell, to learn how to tell stories, what can they expect in your class? And second part of the question, why is it a really good idea for somebody to take, to take a storytelling class? Because we, we have lost the venues, the, the typical venues of uh, fireplaces, kitchen tables, front porches, you know, the, the venues where story just sort of automatically happened. Um, my, my passion, my, my desire is that we somehow, kind of like the American Buffalo, uh, that we regenerate some of this interest and understanding of just how important storytelling is to families, to uh, neighborhoods, countries, the world. When you look at the world, what would be different if we were actually listening to each other's stories rather than, you know, depending on the bias? Um, I don't teach how to tell a story. Uh, They end up being storytellers (laughs) automatically. And I always have to create space so that they do have a chance to tell their stories. And once they start talking, oh my God, we wish we had much more time. Um, The students learned that this was, you know, this goes all the way back to cave before we even had written language, stories were told on cave walls. And it's interesting to note that uh, as cave draw cave artists were doing this around the world, not knowing each other, their drawings were very similar and they're very, um, they're not hierarchical. Uh, there's no evidence of conflict on the walls. You'll see uh, drawings of people holding hands of people together, but they're all the same height. Um, they tell a story of cooperation, which I think is is incredible. Uh, then they will learn about oral traditions. Um, I, this I just found out this week. Uh, archaeologists are now looking to include indigenous stories in their findings of how the earth started and how it's in their mythologies that they find, oh, they're talking about the the divide here or the flood here or whatever. They include all of this. And it just happens that one of the women in my class is an archaeologist. Wow. And so she said, yeah, she said she's been uh, lobbying, lobbying for a long time to include First Nation stories in their research because there's a lot to learn there. Um, story was the first medicine ever practiced, and it still is. Uh, it was the first teaching modality and still is. Um, 
I teach about the neuroscience of, um, are you familiar with Kendall Haven? I'm not familiar with Kendall Haven. Okay. Although I may have read Kendall Haven stuff and didn't know it was Kendall Haven. He's uh, a master storyteller, but he also got involved um, with, I think it was, I think it was the Defense Department in doing research, actually getting it, getting into the brain, seeing what the brain does on storytelling. And what they found is, uh, for lack of a better term, a neural story network. And whatever comes in, and this, <laughs> this goes to communication, whatever comes in doesn't get to the conscious mind but, uh, unless it goes to the neural story network. We are all, we cannot not tell stories. We are just wired story for them. <laughs> oh, we're hardwired and evolutionarily too. I mean, this is stories saved our lives when, when uh, you know, eons and eons ago. And then I also talk about uh, the need to recover the lost stories of women, the marginalized. If we are the stories we tell us ourselves, then if, if we want equality, we have to story that in our lives. Also the, the power to resolve conflict, absolutely. Um, family storytelling. Uh, there was a consensus in this last class that most kids don't really express interest in family stories until they're a little bit older, you know, in their middle age. And yet research seems to indicate that it's most necessary for child development. Uh, children learn um, emotional socialization, emotional intelligence, if they're involved in family story keeping early on. And that, you know, we're, we're losing that. That's mm -hmm. uh, that's a concern. A concern. I also talk about final narratives. Uh, I learned personally when people are at the end of their life, even if they're on morphine, they often tell stories. They use metaphor. Um, my mother. <clears throat> when she was dying, um, kept saying, I have to go, I have to go, I have to go, let me go. And actually it was the hospice nurse who said, no, Mary, you don't, you're, you're okay. And I said, she's not talking about going to the bathroom. She's talking about going. Mm -hmm. And I went in and got a towel and I put it in cold water, wrapped it, uh, you know, wrung it out. Her body was hot and I put it around her head like a turban. And as soon as I did, she went, oh, my hat, smiled and relaxed back. Uh, her story was the traveler. I've heard so many stories like that. And, mm -hmm. and I've heard people say, oh, don't listen. You know, he's got drugs or morphine or something. Like, no, listen, listen to those stories. Mm -hmm. They're powerful. And they're their final narrative. Um. Very powerful. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's a powerful way for us to wrap up, actually. Um, they were pretty much out of time. Um, I didn't know if there's anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up. Oh, I wish we had our front porches again. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes uh, I tell students, it may be a little more, take a little more effort, a little more time, a little more consideration, but we need to create consistently the store uh, space for stories um if i have 
people over for dinner. I'll light candles, even if it's still light out. I'll light candles on the table. And it's amazing how longer people will stay. Uh, uh, I don't want us to lose. I don't know what the future of storytelling looks like. I really don't. When people ask me, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think because we are, it's in our DNA that we can lose it. Will it be, it, will it morph? Will it become something different? I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I just don't know. But it's uh, the foundation of what right now is human. I found that it was very encouraging to me to walk into a moth event and see a packed house of people who both were story listeners and storytellers. And I think Uh that is as a storyteller, um, we are called to help others tell their stories. And um, Mm -hmm. I think that we can make a difference one story at a time. One story at a time. Yeah. 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 And to our listeners, whether you hear us locally from the BTV studios in Bedford, Massachusetts, or across the globe on such podcast channels as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Amazon Prime, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you next time. Happy storytelling.